This is Anthony Anarino, and you're listening to In the Arena. followed in the arena of the podcast, or if you followed my work at thesalesblog.com, then you know one of my good friends is Mark Hunter, the sales hunter. He's been with me at both of the virtual sales kickoffs that we've done, as well as a virtual sales boot camp and a number of other webinars with our friends Jeb Blunt and John Spence and Mike Weinberg and Miles Austin. And we even did a live event together in Washington, D.C. last year. Mark wrote a terrific book called High Profit Selling, and that book brought so many questions that he was forced to write High Profit Prospecting. So this is how do you find those dream clients who are going to actually be profitable business for you. Back in the arena with my good friend, the sales hunter, Mark Hunter. Mark Hunter, my good friend, how are you? Hey, doing good today. Thank you for having me on. And in the background, no one can see this except me, is a massive uh, screen that says high profit prospecting. You know, I just don't want to ever forget that I wrote the book and it's coming out shortly. <laughs> Very shortly. September what? Well, the Kindle comes out on August 20th. The audio version comes out September 6th. And the book comes out September 20th. Okay, so let's first, let's deal with what's wrong with this book. Um, I found two major, major mistakes in the book I want to just address right out of the gate. Who oh, we're bringing the, the we, we are bringing the elephant into the room right now. We yes. are. Who wrote the foreword to this book? Jeb Blunt. And who wrote the introduction to this book? <sighs> Mike Weinberg. And then I searched for the part that I wrote and I was on, you still there? <laughs> yes, I'm still there. I have not hung up on you. Yes, you are still there. Yes. Wh wh where's the part where I wrote something nice about you? You're in there. You're, you're in the book on two on two different. I, I even went to the appendix. Uh, your name is listed there. So I, I absolutely, you know, hey, we, we had this discussion and, you know, I, I... I, I got over it, okay? It, clearly you have, so that's okay. That's okay. Yeah, it's funny. Um, I, somebody, who wrote the forward to Jeb's? Mike. And then I wrote the forward to Mike's. And so, I mean, this has been this whole thing with all of us writing okay, forwards so, and intros. Right. So that means you get the next one, okay? okay. You, all right. Because, because if you remember, we had this discussion that you and I would both be having books coming out about the same time. And just to keep the messaging clear and everything, we didn't want to we didn't want to mess up things. So that was the whole strategy behind it. But don't worry, I got the next book coming. We were talking about before we went on air. And yes, you're going to have your privilege of writing either the forward or the introduction. I'm going on air by telling you right now. You will have the forward I, or the introduction. I've got choice. a commitment, and I have uh, proof that is admissible as evidence in any court of law. Let's talk about uh, why you wrote this book. After high profit selling, what gave rise to writing high profit prospecting? Well, the whole reason is because I quickly learned that you can't take a Walmart shopper and make them a Nordstrom customer. And one of the reasons why people have a hard time selling at full price is because they've got prospects in their pipeline they shouldn't have to begin with. 
And really, that was the whole genesis behind the book. If you start off with the right prospect, then you can ultimately get to a customer that you can close at full price. It's, it's interesting because the I think for a lot of people in sales who are opportunity starved, every everything looks like a deal. And it, it doesn't matter whether the company's business model is completely in conflict with your business model, if still they're engaged and they're receptive, so I should be talking to them. Well, that's one of the problems because, you know, your dog has got a heartbeat. My dog has got a heartbeat. That does not make our dogs good prospects for us. And yet that's exactly what a lot of salespeople are chasing. They're chasing anything with a heartbeat. And that's one of the problems that, okay, I'm going to call out the elephant. This is the, one of the challenges around social media. People think just because somebody likes you or, or retweets you or, or connects with you that they're a prospect. No, they're not. Huh? They just have a heartbeat. We'll get to what a prospect is in a little bit, but I want to I want to go into your book and I want to go closer to the beginning of this process. What do you do to plan to to think about um, high profit customers and and how you're going to target and how you're going to sell? Because I think what you've done is you've said, look, I gave you this great blueprint for high profit selling, but if you're applying this to the wrong customers, there's no way this works for you because. You're not calling on people who can possibly say yes to your offer. So what do you do to plan? What's what's that process look like for somebody who wants to say, like, my business model requires that I have a higher price, I capture more value? Right. Well, let's start off with something that you preach a lot about, who's your dream client? You know, you you really do a great job of framing this up with people. Who is your dream client? So let's start with who your dream client is. And then you back your way up and you say, okay. Where are those dream clients at? What what pool are they in? You know, where where do they where do they live? What, what do they do? That's the community that you want to be prospecting in. And I take the first couple chapters of of the book and really lay out a whole series of questions that you really have to ask. You really have to ask yourself to to break apart because one of the other challenges salespeople have is they have one prospecting process for everything. You know, it's it's like having the Phillips screwdriver. You know. That does everything in your house. Sorry, it's really only going to deal with Phillips screws. That's it. That's it. Or or, or nails, if if I'm being honest. Yeah, occasionally. You got that right. Yeah. Have you ever pounded a nail with a Phillips screwdriver? It doesn't work. It's not pretty. Not pretty. Not pretty. Yeah. So what yeah. should somebody? What are the questions that I should be asking myself as I think about who are these people I should be spending time with? Well, what you got to say is, okay, who is your dream client? Who, who is that perfect client that you've been able to satisfy in the past? Now, don't focus on who they are, but focus on the outcomes that you've generated for them. What you want to do is you want to start with the outcomes and then back your way up to say, who is the profile? What is the profile of the person that fits in that mix? Then you can begin to say, okay, now how do I reach those people? How do I communicate with people? And this then is the next problem that salespeople have. Just because it's the way you want to communicate does not mean it's the way the person wants to be communicated to. You know, I find this, oh, I'm gonna, I'm just gonna email everybody, email everybody. Well, for a lot of people, email doesn't doesn't resonate. You gotta communicate with people using the communication method. That works best for them. I got an email from a, a salesperson that said, you need to click this link to see what we're doing for the companies that look like you. And you don't want to miss this. And I deleted the email. And I got another email. And it said, I want to make sure you didn't miss this. And I deleted that email too. 
And then I got a third email. And finally it said, it had the last two emails pasted in beneath it. And it said, you know, this is really important. I hope you can look at this, blah, blah, blah. And it mentions what this person presumed to be competitors' names. And I deleted the email. And finally I sent a note saying, you really need to read some of my buddy's books. And I gave him a list of books to read and said, you know, there's another approach. Because my phone doesn't ring. I mean, it, it doesn't ring. I get maybe two calls a year from salespeople, even though I spend money and um, those calls are rare. And I got a note back saying, I didn't even send you those emails. That's done by our chief marketing officer. It's all automated and I'll never even know you exist unless you click on the link. And uh, <laughs> Well, can, can, can I say that that company doesn't have a CMO? They have a CSO, chief stupid officer. Yeah, and it's because that's what that's what they're doing. Yeah, and that's not the right approach for me because email to me is not w w the way that I want to engage with people. I would rather have a conversation, and and you know the only person that I would say has done that right for me is uh, Kyle's group down at Sales Loft, and he had a rep who called who was just relentless, just a perfect picture of what a cold call should look like. I couldn't buy from her, but still, she makes a great call. Why do? And we isn't write? that fun? Yeah, go ahead. Well, isn't that funny how we, we're actually getting very few telephone calls? Yeah. <clears throat> why oh. Why email? Why Why do you think salespeople have shifted to this medium that's not the right medium for their customers? Because I think there's two reasons. A, they're tired of being rejected, and they've allowed themselves to believe the lie that nobody answers the telephone. Well, that's okay. Nobody's looking at your email either. So guess what? You're now 0 for 2. <laughs> you're, you're just choosing a, a form of rejection you like better. Exactly. You know, oh, rejection. Oh, see this way when you reject my email, because I just this morning, you know, we, we are taping this on a Sunday. Just this morning, I got two emails this morning, both of them from two different companies said, did you get the email I sent you last week? Yeah, you know what? I probably did. And I hated it and I deleted it. So don't sit there. Yeah, I don't offend me by saying, did you get my email? Yeah, I did. Idiot. I'm I'm sorry. I'm getting a little wound up here. I'm sorry. It's it's another tactic. And the the tactical thing, rather than being honest and competent and professional, I get sometimes where it says re, you know, R E in the subject line, like there was something that we already discussed. And when I search that person's name, I never got anything from them. I mean, I, I never, uh, I never so, had oh, that conversation. Yeah, you know, this really hits on something. And let's run down a little bit of a side path because you you are really all about leadership, and I'm all about leadership. And if you think about it, the best prospecting people are the ones who demonstrate leadership in the marketplace. When we begin to demonstrate leadership, then I think it changes our tone, our demeanor. And I think we begin prospecting with integrity because I hate to say it, but when I get those RE, that person lacks complete right. integrity with me. All they're doing is scamming me. If, I hate if, them. If there was ever a chance to have an opportunity, you started it out with a, a, a lie and with deceit. I mean, which is just not a great place to start a relationship. Which means, you know what's interesting? The only prospects you're going to attract are those who are in that same camp as you. You want to get stupid prospects? Do stupid stuff. You're going to wind up with them. I'm sorry. I'm that's, sorry. Uh, that's got to be a, a quote that goes into the, the Twitter button on the. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> um, tell me, I think one of the challenges that I see with salespeople generally when it comes to to prospecting is is the time and i i don't think they use their time well so w what do you do to help salespeople, or what should a salesperson do 
to manage their time effectively so that they can do what I, I think is the lifeblood of any sales organization, and that's prospecting. Well, they first have to get rid of, of the other myth that says the most valuable thing they have is what they sell. No. The most valuable asset any person has is their own time. You first have to accept that fact. That is your most valuable asset. So what you got to do is you got to use your time as efficiently and effectively as possible. The number one reason why people don't prospect and don't make time for it is because they're not committed to it. If you don't have it on your calendar, you know, waking up in the morning and thinking about prospecting is not prospecting. You may be thinking that you're going to contact these three or four people. Well, let me tell you something. They didn't wake up this morning and saying, oh, by golly, I hope Anthony calls me today. It ain't going to happen. It just, no. You've got to be committed. And think about it. If you see yourself as a leader, if you see yourself helping people achieve an outcome that they didn't think was possible, you're going to embrace prospecting much more proactively because you know that you're making a difference in the lives of the people you're connecting with. And if you don't believe that, what? And if you don't believe that, then your kids are going to go hungry because now think about this. Well, but, you know, you stop and think about this. You know, bad salespeople have shoeless kids. I mean, it, 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 it's just that simple. And, and I, I find that too many people take the path of least resistance when it comes to, I don't, I don't want to prospect. I don't want to prospect. So they, they will hide under all the guises that, you know, marketing isn't doing all these other things. And ultimately, they just leave the profession. You know, I, I, I really think prospecting is, is, the, um, is the reason more salespeople get out of sales than probably any other reason because they're afraid to prospect. Me too. And it really is not a big deal. I mean, if, even if it's cold calling, which a lot of people resist, it's just a phone call. It's just a phone call. You know, the, I hate to say this. The sun is still going to come up tomorrow morning. And, and I don't care how many times I get rejected. Now, I'm not waking up in the morning and say, oh, gee, I hope I get rejected. But you know what it is? You, you got to realize that it's okay getting rejected. It's okay because all that does is – and this is very – this is very uh, – um, uh, cliche but every rejection just moves me one step closer to ultimately getting that sale. And if you reject me, that's fine, because you know what? I don't have time for you either. Move. Next. 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 What is, uh, w- what's the difference between a prospect and a suspect? Well, that's a good... <laughs> the majority of salespeople have pipelines that are not full of prospects, but they're full of suspects. And, and what, what they are is, it's, it's your dog. They've got a heartbeat. If we don't do a good enough job qualifying, we've got to qualify our prospects early on. This is, I, I find this to be, salespeople find this offensive. Oh, I can't ask the tough questions right away. No, you can't afford not to because otherwise that suspect is going to waste your time. And how many times do we sit here and we have somebody in our, in our sales funnel? Sales managers, if you're listening to this, man, I'll tell you what, you got to ask yourself, if your people have things in their funnel, that have been sitting there for more than one or two cycles, you really got to question your salespeople because all they're doing is all, all they have is a fat sewer line. What I want to do is I want to qualify you quick. Now, you know, there's all kinds of the traditional stereotypes, you know, band and all that sort of stuff. But, you know, if, if they don't have a, a timeline with which to make a decision, why am I talking with them? If they don't have a critical need I can satisfy, why am I talking with them? If they're not the decision maker, why am I talking to them? If I don't understand their value of money, why am I talking to them? You see, I, the sooner I get these things found out, the sooner I realize, is this somebody I'm going to spend my selling time with 
or is this a person who I'm going to allow marketing to do their thing with in terms of email drip campaigns, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Hang, keeping them in the, in, in that distant funnel, but not in my active funnel because the most valuable asset I have is my time. My goal is to spend more time with fewer prospects. In this scenario that you described, though, I don't blame the salesperson as much as I blame their manager. I mean, oh, the, the, yours. Yeah. The manager should be asking those questions about what's their compelling reason to change. You know, and when, when I see a pipeline and the dates all say um, March 31st, June 30th, September 30th, and December 31st, or end of month, I think that's, that's a sales rep's day. Because the the prospect doesn't think, you know, man, I really want to help these guys close this deal by the end of quarter. They they think the only day that we could possibly kick off a program like this is Tuesday eleventh because that's the only day we all we're all here in the same spot. You know, they have a whole different set of criteria which they would use to to determine the date to take a certain action. And you just don't see that. So I think it's not the rep. The rep's trying to to make sure he looks like he's working or she's working, but it's the manager who should be asking these questions. Oh, without a doubt. In fact, let's do a shout out right now for our good friend, Mike Weinberg, in his book, Sales Management Simplified. I mean, if you're a sales manager, you need to read this book. If you're a salesperson, you need to buy this and um, just slip it into their mail, slip it into their, you know, on, onto their desk. But yeah, it is because, I mean, when, when I see a pipeline where I've got all these prospects and all these deals are going to close at the end of my quarter, give me a break. They're not going to close. What, 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 why, is, why are all these prospects suddenly going to agree to buy on the end of my quarter? <laughs> That's not going to happen. Give me a break. That's funny. When you think about it that way, and I never thought about it that way, if I'm looking at a pipeline and there's 22 deals in it and 11 of them are closing on the same day, yeah, that's yeah, a bit yeah. coincidental, what's, what's, isn't it? That's a, just just a little bit of strength. Okay, now now if if if, if there's some inherent reason because of product uh, manufacturing process or something, but by and large, give me a break. All that salesperson is doing is smoking dope and jumping rope. And you know what they're going to do is they're going to wind up shifting some of those dates to the next quarter and the next month and the next whatever it is. Yeah, that's what happens. Tell me about uh, the phone first one. Um, we talked a little bit about the aversion, but I guess tell me, should you still be using the phone? Yes, yes, the phone well, is hang on now. I'm going to push back because everything that I see on LinkedIn from people who believe that the phone is dead says you should absolutely never use the phone, and you should, and certainly shouldn't start a relationship by making a phone call. Well, I can show you a lot of articles that say the world is flat too. Okay, so you know there's still a flat world society out there. So I I, I can find anything I want to believe what I want to believe. Here's the thing about the telephone. The telephone works when it's used right. The reason it doesn't work is because salespeople have failed to realize that a phone call, any phone call can go one of three ways. One, a gatekeeper could answer it. Two, it could roll over to voicemail. Or three, the person you're looking for could answer the phone. And oh, by the way, each one of those three requires a completely different strategy on your part. And you better be ready for it before you pick up the phone and start calling. Because what happens is salespeople leave stupid messages. They hand, they don't know. So why should, the, why should the customer engage with you if you're a babbling idiot on the telephone? I'm getting a little too wound up here. I'm sorry. <laughs> this is why you are angry, angry Mark. Mark. <laughs> exactly. Hashtag, 
Hashtag so, so angry let, Mark. Let's walk through those um, those scenarios. So if if I get a voicemail, do you recommend leaving a voicemail? Yes. Yes. Okay. Here, here, here. Okay. okay. So oh, now that, you're you're going counter to what a lot of people say, which is don't leave voicemails. Oh, I I, I want to leave a voicemail, and and I'll give you the reason why. Are people going to return my? No, they're not going to return my voicemail. I get that. But I'm going to leave an 11 to 14 second voice. Whoa! 11 to 14 seconds. Now think about that for a moment. That's short and tight. You better have your act together to leave an 11 to 14 second. Because how many times have you listened to voicemails, and I do too, and you get partway into it and it's hashtag seven, star five, whatever, but you delete it because it's a village idiot on the, on the other end. I want to leave an 11 to 14 second voicemail message. Now people are saying, well, Mark, if they're not going to return it, Return the call. Why should you do it? But here's why. What I'm doing is I'm leaving a message. It it is essentially like a billboard along the side of the road. Coca-Cola, number one brand still in the world today. Have they stopped advertising? No. They're out there all the time. Pounding messages, messages, billboards, signage, whatever it is. This is what your voicemail is. It's, it's, It's creating another image, another impression, another awareness about you. But it's gotta be tight. And oh, by the way, it's not about you. It's about the other person. Let me give you a sample with the 11 to 14. Anthony, Mark Hunter, the sales hunter calling. Got some great information regarding prospects that I think is going to be of interest to you. Give me a buzz. 402-445-2110. Again, 402-445-2110. Now, I wasn't recording. That's probably about, I don't know, 14, 15. Felt like that to me. Yeah. And, And you know what? It was tight. I repeated the phone number twice. I did it with energy. I used your name. I didn't worry about my title. Okay, I, I, I think I said Mark Hunter, the sales hunter, but don't, don't get into your titles. Just say the company you're with, that's it, that's it. People don't care about your title, okay? My title happens, happens to be my company. But the whole thing is, it, it's just one thing. Hey, I've got some information regarding X or something like that. And give me a buzz for it. Now, they're not gonna call you. I get that. But you know what you've done? You've created an impression. Now this person, guess what? They are going to listen to the voicemail. By and large, people do listen to voicemails. And oh, by the way, they're going to realize, hey, that Mark Hunter guy, well, that's okay. It was short. Okay. And and I may call you back a week from now, and I may leave you another voicemail. I'm not going to say, hey, did you listen to my other voicemail I sent you? Idiot. No. The voicemail I leave you is a different one. I never send the same email twice. I never send the same voicemail twice. I always make sure my messaging is different. And guess what? It may take half a dozen of these. It may take a dozen of these over the course of several months. But sooner or later, I'm going to reach you. I've, I've never understood the don't leave a message thing. And I, I always ask, would you knock on somebody's door and run? You know, and then <laughs> yes. you just keep knocking on the door and running. And then they yeah. open it and the, and the that's the first time they've ever, I mean, if the, if the first time they ever know you showed up, if the voicemail is like, this person's pursuing me, they have something right. of interest, to, they have something of right. value to share with me, the, you call 14 times and the 15 times is the first time I ever hear your name, makes no sense to me. Right. Now, the, the, the one time I will not leave a voicemail message is when the person comes on and says, hi, I'm on vacation for the entire month of, fine. I'm not going to leave a voicemail if somebody says they're away on holiday, vacation, or something like that. Because really think about it. Last thing they want to do is is check their voicemail and have all these, can I say, can I use the word vendor? Vendor oh. messages. Ooh, 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 ooh. You're in so, rare form and, today. Right. That, and that's what, you don't, that's what you don't want to be perceived as. 
When I moved to Los Angeles when I was a kid, I had a, a good buddy named Robbie Rickman. He's thrilled now. He's famous. He's on the podcast. And uh, that was back in the days where, remember the 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 little uh, answering machines that had the little tiny tape in it? Oh, one, yes. One, one yes. of those tapes would be like 20 minutes long. And yeah. Robbie would call from Columbus and just leave his whole side of the conversation on the voicemail tape. And so I would get home and there would be two beeps. Right. And the first one's Robbie and it's 18 minutes long and I can't get to the second beep without listening to the whole tape. And right. he would just talk whatever he had to say. And it was, it was like, there's more voicemails. I can't get out of this one. Right. Oh yeah. Oh That's yeah. It. So yep. don't, you don't need to necessarily yeah. leave that message. Oh, by the way, for millennials who are listening, tape, tape, you're now kind of comprehending how old. I, oh, I'm sorry. Wait a minute. He, I'm sorry. You yeah, are younger you already, than me, so I better shut up. I, I didn't. Better. I didn't even point it out that you used tape earlier in this conversation. So oh, I, hear okay. that. <laughs> I, I'm. I'm glad we know each other quite well. I'm <laughs> it's important. So the phone still works, and people do listen to voicemail. Tell tell me about other forms of uh, prospecting. Tell me about what else, because I think that that salespeople. When we even talk about cold calling, I mean, they just immediately are like, oh, cold calling. And then that's all they think is that's that's the one thing you can do to prospect. And it's not. What are other choices you can make? Well, let's talk about email for a minute, because emailing is a great method. But here's a couple of things. We were talking again before we clicked the record button. The, <laughs> the whole reason of not putting links and not putting graphics in your email, if you're sending out a prospecting email, I'm not going to include any graphics or any links, and here's why. People are not going to click on links, period. They are just not, because who knows what's in that link. The good prospecting email, you have to remember, we write prospecting emails while sitting at our laptop or sitting at the desk, and, oh, it looks really good. But the problem is the person's receiving it on their smart device. And, oh, by the way, they're looking at it on a smart device, and your email looks pretty dumb. Now you have sent a dumb email. You've got to have it looking right so it can be viewed and read on a smart device. Now, what does that mean? It really means three critical components. One, the subject line. The subject line cannot be introducing Mark Hunter. Sorry, that ain't going to cut it. It's got to be something that engages the person, something of interest to them. Okay? And, oh, by the way, really only the first three words are probably going to come through on that subject line of that person. So don't think that you can write this long tail subject. Second, the first 100, 150 characters is probably all that's going to come up on their smartphone, right? You look at emails and you see, and you may see the subject line and you see the first 150 characters. If you start off, hi, I'd like to introduce myself. My name is Anthony. Ugh, delete, delete. You see, I, I don't have any proof on this, but I'll swear, and I, I firmly believe that people delete messages far faster on their phone than any other, than any, any, they are looking for a reason to delete. Because they're walking down the hall, they're they're in their car at a stoplight, they're 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 standing in line at Starbucks, whatever, and they're looking at emails and they're deleting, 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 deleting. So what I got to do is I got to make the subject line and the first hundred, hundred and fifty characters. So I'm going to start off the subject line just in the inverse of what I've been taught by my high school English teacher about how to write a letter. You know, I don't sit there and say I'm going to introduce myself. I'm going to save that for sentence three. Now here's where I'm going with this. I may be trying to reach you, Anthony, and I'm going to start off by saying, hey, new data has just been released by, you know, something or other, okay, and would like to share it with you. That's that's it for the first paragraph. I'm going to double space. 
my name is Mark Hunter. I'm with such and such company. Would like to talk with you about it. Give me a buzz. And then I'm going to give my phone number. That's it. That's it. That's it. A good prospecting email does not have to be any more than four to six sentences long and not more than two sentences per paragraph, not more than three paragraphs, all double spaced. So what that does is it means that I can look at it pretty quickly on my smart device. Now, I may still delete it. That's okay. But at least I've read it. And again, it's that awareness. I'm creating that awareness. I'm creating that awareness. It's the Coca-Cola signage that eventually has you saying, I want to drink a Coca-Cola. I would add just one thing to the end of that. I always like to say, I'm sorry I missed you. I will try to call you next week on Tuesday or Wednesday. I just always want to let them know. It's my responsibility to call them. Yeah, now, not calling. yeah, yeah. you know what's interesting? I don't like doing that. Now, I, yeah, and I'm glad we finally got something to disagree on. I love it. I love it. Besides, my dog is cuter than your dog. But that's that's a separate issue. Anyway, anyway. Okay. My, my uh, dog has cancer. I know. I know. I know. How, I how my, angry oh, is this guy? Man, I'm sorry. I just, I, 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 I shed a milk bone for your dog. <laughs> oh man, that's getting cold. We are, we're, we're, we're going to hear from people on this. Now, he, here's, here's one strategy. What you just said works very, very well. But here's what I found. There may be an inkling that they may call you back. Th- th- there may be that 5%. Remember that scene out of, out of uh, Dumb and Dumber? Where he is sitting in, where he's sitting in the bar and he's asking about the odds of meeting somebody, and the bartender says it may be like one in a million, and he says, "Oh, that means there may be a chance." Yeah. Okay. Great movie. It's probably one of my top ten movies. Anyway, it, tell, it tells your audience where my this head's is, at. This is a revealing interview. This is a very revealing. It's right up there with Tommy Boy. But that's a. <laughs> we'll do that in a separate episode. See. Yeah. Anyway, um, he, he, here's the thing. So if 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 I say, hey, I'm going to reach out to you next Tuesday or Wednesday, see if there was any probability or possibility that you might call me back, you probably won't. So that's why I, I you know, just don't. Now I, you know, again. It's it's you try different strategies because every market, every industry, every person's different. And you have to try these different things to see what fits for you. Because at the end of the day, it's got to fit your personality. It's got to fit your style. You're you're more of a Jim Carrey type here. And I, I just don't think the call's coming. So you do. Hey, I, I'm an optimist. I'm a sales. <laughs> you have to be an optimist. Let me um let me shift gears out of the book and ask you more personal questions. Even though I'm sometimes afraid to go into this territory with you. Let's talk about what are you reading right now? What's on your reading list? What's on What am I reading? Boy, I'll tell you what. I have just bought a ton of of books. I'm really trying. Another good friend of ours, John Spence, uh, raised the issue of how many books he has read. And I'm kind of taking it under my wing right now to be reading a book a week. And and as a result, I I have just inundated myself with books. Patrick Linsoni has written a couple really awesome books. And I just, and now I can't even think of the titles of them, but I just, just got them on my Kindle and I'm going to be digging into those probably this, this next week. I, the majority of books I read tend to be on leadership because I think as salespeople, we, we have to realize that if we're not seen as a leader, we'll never be seen as a good salesperson. Yeah. So I, as a peer, I mean, you have to be a player. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you know what? And, and society is crying out for leaders and leaders with integrity and authentic. And again, I think that's why you you and I connect so well. What's the most important book you've ever read and, and why? 
oh man, most important book I've ever, probably the one I'm, you know, it, it's, it tends to be whatever the book I'm reading. You, you're, I, this is, this is embarrassing, but you're asking, you're asking, you're asking me questions like, you know, you know, my wife say, let's go to a movie and, and, and I'll mention, and, and it's like, I have no clue. Because uh, I don't remember, I don't remember movie titles, and I don't remember book titles. So I, I, I apologize. I, I, man, I feel like I'm stupid. You're gonna have to go with uh, Jeb Blunt, Mike Weinberg, something. John Spence. Well, Spence. yeah, I mean, those. Hey, I, I, I just read your galley copy here, your galley copy a couple weeks ago. I'll take that one as the uh, answer. Yeah. So Final yeah. Answer. Yeah. Final answer. Thank you. Do, do I get to come back and play again next week? Hey, la- ladies and gentlemen, you're listening to In the Arena with Anthony Iannarino. Who Who's had the biggest influence on your thinking? Who's had the biggest influence on my thinking? Wow, that's that's a tough one. Uh, I, I'd like to think that I get my my influence from as many different voices as possible. Let me give you an example. I, I was I was at a um, Salesforce event about six months ago, and Colin Powell was asked the question, what news, where do you get your news? And he said, I do not listen to any of the cable news channels. I get all my news from foreign news sources. And he rattled off all these sources, including the Russian news network. And there was this gasp in the audience, several thousand people in the audience. And he said, yeah, but you know, in, in the military, we were told you need to know your enemy. So, you know, it's, it's kind of funny, but I, I I look for influence from as many different voices as possible. But I, and and I talk about this. There there are two people, and I'm only going to give a shout out to one uh, who have influenced me a lot. You know, you can always say your your you know your dad and so forth. But um, Phil Groff, Phil Groff influenced me dramatically. He was my, he was the manager of the first McDonald's I worked at at 16 years of age. I thought you give this speech in a yeah. keynote. Yeah, that's yeah. worth the price of admission if you get to see Mark in a keynote just for that story. Yeah, and, and it's funny because it worked out well because three years later I was managing the second highest volume McDonald's in the world. And they no. sent you to the North Pole for that, right? Uh, Fairbanks, Alaska. That's right. Fair, Fairbanks, Fairbanks, Alaska. We won't say the year because then that'll do. Well, I'll go ahead and say the year. It was when the pipeline was being built. So go ahead and Google it, all you millennials out there. Pipeline? What? Alaska pipeline when it was being built? Yeah. Okay. What's the most important lesson you've learned in life? Boy, get back up, get back up. You know, uh, an expression I really like to use a lot, fail fast and learn faster. Um, we, we, don't, we don't take enough risks. You know, you and I hang around the same circle of people. And, and, and I like to view myself as a risk taker. But I look at you and, and you're far more risk oriented than me. One of the challenges I think we all have is we don't allow ourselves to take enough risks because we look for the safest we, we we look for the safest path we look for the safest we set goals that we can achieve and and this is interesting <clears throat> if you're if you can achieve your goal you haven't thought big enough think about that for because your goal has to be so big that it requires the inclusion of many other people if it doesn't include many other people then you're thinking too small you know, you start you, you start changing your thought process. There's a uh, a tweet I I love to use. Um, change your outlook on life, and you'll change your output from life. And too many people have a very narrow. My my wife and I were talking about this today that we all tend to live in a bubble, 
And the problem is too many people's bubbles are too small. If you don't live in a big enough bubble, um, you're, you're just not going to get there. Great, great advice. If you weren't um, writing and speaking and consulting, what job should you be doing? Uh, I'm doing what I want to do. There is no other job. I left corporate America uh, and and because I, I didn't want to grow old in corporate America. I've seen too many people go up the ladder and I was going up the ladder. Great. Had a one unbelievable job. I was director of sales operations for a Fortune 200 company. Great job. And I walked away from it uh, because I didn't want to be beholden to corporate America and and have my learning. I, I wanted to get a bigger bubble. I wanted to get a bigger bubble. And you and I both thoroughly love this because you speak a lot all around the world, and I do too. And and the people you get to run into, the people you get to meet, that's what jazzes me. I mean, when I can be sitting, whether it be Australia, whether it be the Philippines, whether it be Europe, you know, wherever I'm at, be meeting people and, and, and talking about the challenges that they're facing, that jazzes me. Because it changes your whole outlook on, on, on life. It changes how you see things. You know, right now in the U.S., we're all caught up in this political election. And I really hate to say this, folks, but you know what? The sun's still going to come up in the morning. You know, the highs are never as high as you think they are, and the lows are never as low as you think they are. And the critical thing is, it's amazing how the pundits have always been wrong. You know, you go back a number of years ago, and Alan... Greenspan testifying before Congress, this was when he was chairman of the Fed, made the comment that housing was was uh, uh, irrational exuberance, those, quote, irrational exuberance. But he didn't see a need to do anything. Boom. What happened? What happened shortly thereafter? You know, back nine years ago, 10 years ago, we were talking about peak oil, peak oil, peak oil, peak oil. Well, that certainly didn't pan out. So it's amazing how sometimes we listen to voices and we allow our, our thinking to get skewed. And it's so, interesting because when you see something, you see this trajectory and you think that a, tra- a, a line that's going up is only going to go up. No, and, that's and right. Lines only go one way. And if it's going down, you think that that line's all the way just going to continue to go down. And they change directions all the time. They do. Trends trends in and of themselves are not sustainable. Trend lines are not are not sustainable. Hey, we could, we could tweet that. Hashtag trends are not sustainable. Because they aren't. They aren't. Yeah. I usually you know, ask he, people what they want to be remembered for, but I'm going to ask you a different question because you just got um, a, a signification from the NSA. Yeah. Tell me about yeah. that. Yeah, the NSA, and, 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 that, and that's not a government agency. That's the National Speakers Association. Oh. Yeah, I, I, I just earned what, what, what is called the Certified Speaking Professional. And there's only about 800, 750 in the world. And um, what, what it means is you've, you've, you've achieved a certain level of, of speaking professionalism. And, um, and, and in turn, you, you are bestowed that uh, honor as a CSP. So yeah, so it was kind of cool. It was about six, six years in the making and, uh, it really is. Um, so yeah, so I'm pleased. Um, Congratulations. I does it, pictures. does it get me a discount at Starbucks? Nope, it doesn't. So are my kids impressed? Nope, not at all. <laughs> well, I am. Well, thank you. Thank and you. I'm now, I, now I, now I really like your dog. So, and I'm I almost just, young enough to be your kid. So 
Oh, no, you're not, cowboy. No, you're not. Uh Uh-uh. Sorry, dude. Let's go through one more time the release dates. The book is released on what day in hardcover or softcover? Yeah, it's September 20th is when the book comes out. That's when our official launch date. Right, right. Okay, but between now and then. Right. Audio comes out September 6th. And Kindle, the electronic version, comes out August 20th. Interesting. Do you know why Kindle gets released so early? Any idea? Um, I'm not sure, but you know what's interesting, and, and I've done a lot of I've I've done a lot of soul searching on on this. But there is a theory. Uh, if you think about this, and I, this is purely from a capitalistic society, if you buy the Kindle, and my book happens to have a lot of checklists, a lot of questions, a lot of different things there. So you buy the Kindle, you're going to say, "Oh man, doggone it! I, I really want to get a copy of that, so I'm going to buy the book." If you listen to the audio. You're going to sit there and say, man, all those checklists and all those all those things and scripts, I got to buy the book. So really, I, I think it's re- going to work out well because it's going to create a double sale because people are going to buy the Kindle or the auto because they want it now, now, and then and then they're going to buy the book. So that's purely from my capitalistic, yes, go out and buy more copies. Congratulations. It's an excellent book, and we will point people to Amazon.com. And thank you for being here, my friend. I appreciate it. Hey, thank you so much. That was my good friend, The Sales Hunter, Mark Hunter. You can find him at thesaleshunter.com. And you can also find him at Twitter at The Sales Hunter. You should follow him in both places. And if you ever get the chance to see him speak, he is an amazing keynote speaker with explosive energy and absolutely worth the time and money. So find him and get there. I'm your host, Anthony Anarino. You can find me at thesalesblog.com. You can also find me at youtube.com forward slash Anarino. And right now you can find my new book on pre-order at preorder.theonlysalesguide.com. That book will be released by Portfolio on October 11th and available everywhere after that. Thank you so much for your time. Do go out and leave us a review on iTunes. It helps tremendously. And I look forward to seeing you next time back here in the arena.